This is Lock and Code, a Malwarebytes podcast. I'm your host, David Reese. Our main story today is about growing up online, and it is a revisit of an older episode. About a year ago, Mauerbytes investigated the blurry, shifting idea of identity on the internet and how online identities are not only shaped by the people behind them, but also inherited by the internet's youngest users, children. Now, children have pretty much always inherited some of their identities from their parents. Uh, Remember that two of the largest indicators for political and religious affiliation in the United States are, no surprise, the political and religious affiliations of someone's parents. But the transfer of online identity comes with unique risks. When we create email accounts for our kids, are we also teaching them about strong passwords? When we post photos of our kids online, are we teaching them how to post photos of themselves and others? When we create a Netflix viewing profile on their iPad, are we prepared for what else they might see online? And are we certain they're ready to watch before they can even walk? Those are the kinds of questions that drove a joint report that Mauerbytes published last year. And while asking 2,000 people many questions about parenting and growing up online produced a ton of insights, we at Lock & Code contextualized those insights by speaking to a regular Bay Area teenager named Nitya Sharma. We're sharing that 2022 conversation with Nitya again today, because after we finished last year's research, we thought to ourselves, hey, let's do that again. (laughs) And we are. In about a month, we're releasing a follow-on report about behaviors, beliefs, and blunders in online privacy and cybersecurity. And for that report, we are also bringing back Nitya on the podcast. Today, then serves as a bit of an early prologue. Let's go back in time and revisit an old conversation about what are the hardest parts about growing up online for a teenager. Let's welcome Nitya Sharma from 2022. Hello. As I said at the top there, right, there's a lot of um, dramatic statistics. There's a lot of worrying statistics, a lot of things about members of Generation Z suffering from increased rates of depression and anxiety and all of that. And and just, I wanted to get away from stats. I wanted to get away from comparing 2009 to 2021. And I wanted to ask you something just kind of broad and simple here, which is, what is the hardest part about being online today for you? I don't really care that much about being online, and I don't really think <laughs> it's that hard. But I think that for a lot of other kids... If I want to hang out with somebody, I usually want to do it in person. I don't really like talking on the phone or texting or like DMing through Instagram or whatnot. And I think a lot of people treat that as their social interaction. And so a lot of people don't really feel like they're missing out on building relationships with people and having social interactions if they're doing it so much online. Like a lot of my friends are comfortable just sitting in front of their computer for nine hours a day. And that's their social interaction with people. And I can see how sometimes it's easy to fall into that trap because it's easier. Just want to do that. You don't have to be as vulnerable. You don't have to, you know, drive to a certain place, get your parents to bring you there, figure out what to do, deal with, you know, awkward silences. You can always just 
send people memes and have that be, <laughs> you know, replacement for awkward silence. But I just think it's boring and I don't like it a lot. And a lot of my friends do because they're into gaming and things like that. And I don't know, especially with like a lot of the people I know who game, that is their main social interaction because they can kind of hide behind a screen. And so it's hard for me because I feel like I can't really hang out with my friends in the way that I wanted to because of that. You characterize this as like people fall into this trap. Why do you think it's a trap? I think most traps that people fall into aren't necessarily anything like malicious that's out to get them, but it's just a habit that you fall into because it's easy. It's easy to just say, oh, well, if I wanted to hang out with my best friend, I'd have to you know, if you can't drive, find my parent to drive me there. You'd have to figure out what to do. I'd have to talk to them nonstop for this amount of time. Whereas if I just call them on the phone, I can do it straight from my bed. I can talk about whatever. I can just like send them funny pictures and articles to keep us entertained. And then I can hang up whenever I want. And I think because it's so easy and because there's so much on the internet to distract you from actually having to talk to people, you could feel like you're having a social connection when I think it does fulfill a lot of people. But I think there's just a gap there and people kind of fall into the trap of just easy, quick connection. Do you find if you want to hang out with your friends and you say, let's meet up somewhere, do you get like pushback? Do you get resistance? I get a lot of people who need me to tell them three days in advance (laughs) if I want to go get lunch (laughs) with them because they're like, oh, my parents won't want to drive me. Oh, I have this homework to do. You know, uh, I have this to do. Oh, I have that to do. But then the same people will call me like three times a night. And I don't know, I just feel like, and I mean, I fall into it too, where you just don't really know how to separate your time from like your social media time and your online time to your social life and your school life. And I think that balance gets really blurred with social media because social media, and it is fun time, but I forget that a lot. I forget that, oh, this is like time for me where I'm not focused, I'm not being productive. And because that social element gets mixed in, I think that idea kind of gets lost because you're like, oh, I'm connecting with my friends this way. But then I don't know, people end up wasting a lot of time. And I do too. And so people just end up not having time because they don't realize how much time they're wasting on social media. <laughs> That's such a great like observation, by the way. Like it's extremely astute there that like we seem to waste time on social media. And like it is fun. It's fun with quotation marks. That's what it's supposed to be. And people do have fun on it. But at the same time, it's taking a lot of time away. And like you said, just this thing where you if if you're trying to get lunch with people, like if you're trying to hang out with friends, they require you to like schedule it a couple days. I mean, honestly, it sounds dreadfully adult. That's what like my friends do, you know, like because we like have jobs that take us away from things for all times and then we are starting to have children and so it's like we have to schedule things and knowing that you're already facing that is concerning is all i'm saying um, yeah well i'm a little bit different because i graduated high school early so i go to community college now so all of my friends are taking like a lot of them are taking a couple different classes from me so i don't see them that often so it's a little bit different i did want to ask like what do you see as the good sides when are you having a good time online? I think I'm usually having a good time online because I used to have TikTok. And when I had TikTok, I was not having a good time. Why is that? Well, it would suck like four hours of my day. I had to put a <laughs> lock on my screen time so that I wouldn't use it like more than three hours or something. But I let myself have it because like in the height of the pandemic, it made me so sad. I had to delete it eventually just because everyone's always posting like a video of them in a montage of their life. And I was really confused. I was like, the whole state is under lockdown. How are you like? seeing people 20 times a day but 
I didn't really understand. It was like a black hole of a time suck. So I eventually deleted it like two years ago. But I was not having a good time on TikTok. But now I have Instagram only really. And like be real and stuff. I don't really have I don't have Snapchat because I don't understand how it works. And <laughs> I think on Instagram and be real, people first of all post less on Instagram because they see it as like a bigger of a deal. Like people get really worked up over what they post. So a lot of people don't post that often. And I kind of just like seeing what my friends are up to. I don't follow celebrities really because they post too much. And I don't know. I feel like everyone's inherently a little bit nosy. And that's why, like, as much as we like to like, brag and overshare on social media about our lives, I think people do want to see that to a certain extent. So I think it's fun just to get little looks into people's lives and see what's going on. A lot of, like, the negative consequences that you've uh, mentioned are, like, time management. Like, they're sucking up time. Is that, am I getting that right? Yeah. Do you find that that's a common theme amongst you and your friends? Like all of you, you talk about the time that it takes away. Yep. Because when we were in our high school, we got four hours of homework a night. It was kind of ridiculous. <sighs> and so any time that was being wasted on social media was kind of like, it really mattered. And I think especially in the Bay, like with how much school kids get and stuff, people are obsessed with like maximizing productivity. And I don't know, like adults are like that too. They're like, oh, I'm gonna wake up at 6 a.m. and go do this all day. And I don't know, like my parents are like that too. But I think just like wasting time is honestly one of the biggest negative consequences my friends and I can see just because we're so limited in how much of it we have. Do you see just hanging out with people in person, do you see that as wasting time? I don't really because I like it, but sometimes it can feel like it because I don't know, like when I was in school, you would just be with your friends during lunch or in a free period at school, or you would have just time in class where you had finished all your work and your teacher just said, okay, we can do work now. And so those felt like they were non-manufactured and what else are you going to do at that time? But I was also always someone who would do homework during lunch because I didn't want to do it when I got home. And at certain points, I would prioritize not wasting time over social interaction. And I don't know if it's really related to social media, but now I feel like it less because I'm kind of lonely. <laughs> and so when I hang out with my friends, like I do see the benefit. I do see how I'm happier afterwards, but still just, I don't know. I have a lot of work now. And so I still do feel that like, okay, well, we can't hang out for too long. Cause I knew, you know, I have these, this free morning before my class at whatever, 1 PM. And I should spend some of that doing work. These feelings of like, you know, having to maximize your productivity, something that, you know, adults absolutely go through and they suck. Like they're terrible feelings. Like I like I have no other way to kind of like present that. We worry about that too. When we notice it, when we see, oh my gosh, the only thing that matters is like maximizing productivity. I mean, we have like 10 years ago, you know, there were a lot of companies out there that were like trying to replace breakfast, you know, trying to replace eating with like, you just need this like protein shake like three times a day. And that way you don't have to worry about food. And I feel like it's sort of the same thing that's happening here. Like we shouldn't have to worry <laughs> about social interaction. We shouldn't see it as something that is taking time away. And that's the same way it was with like food. It was like, don't you worry about lunch? And it's like, no, I do not because I am a, a normal, like I'm a normal person. That's such a bizarre way to think about food. I wanted to go back also to something that you mentioned here though, because I feel like maybe not all of our listeners have heard of it. What is the platform Be Real? It's basically this app. I guess some French company made it like two years ago, but now just like Americans are using it. And it sets off a timer at a certain time of day, but it's different every day. And you basically have to be real. So you have two minutes to capture a picture of your face and then whatever's in front of you. So it takes a picture on your front and back camera. 
and it's supposed to also be really transparent because you can see like if people did that at a certain time or how many minutes late they did it and how many retakes they took and stuff it kind of loses its purpose though because a lot of people will wait until a time for their day where they're doing something fun to take their be real and stuff but it's still fun and it avoids the endless loop of other social media platforms because you can't really scroll you only see how many b-reels like your friends took because you there's like a discovery page where you can watch random b-reels of random people but that's not interesting to anyone nobody cares so it's pretty good because you only look at it for like 15 or 20 minutes a day something you said here it shows you how much time has elapsed from the timer and also the number of retakes can you explain that more so you get two minutes to take the b-reel and have it be considered in the b-reel time and so if you take it in the two minute time like since your b-reel timer went off on your phone because it's the same for everyone like the time even though it could be different times every day on a certain day it's the same for everyone so if you don't do it in those two minutes it'll say that you posted your b-reel this many minutes late from the b-reel time and then retakes is basically like everyone only gets two minutes to take their b-reel even if they take it late but in those two minutes you can see how many times people retook the b-reel so you can retake it multiple times if you want what a wild like user interface feature just to be like, this person was not the most to be real they could be. And that's crazy that it like reveals that to you. You mentioned that you also enjoy be real because it's like, it's, it's shorter. It's like 15 minutes, you know, at the most, because there's a certain amount of time that you're going to be on it and that's it, you know, nothing more. Is there anything else besides like the time management aspect that you like more about be real compared to like other platforms? Yeah, I like that to be able to see other people's be real, you have to post a be real because... Well, Instagram is the only other social media I really have. But on Instagram, there's a lot of people who are just like silent users. They just look at other people's stuff and follow people, but they don't post anything and they don't even have a profile picture or anything. And I don't know, that's like kind of not the reason I have social media. Like, I don't really care about the memes and reels or whatever. Like, they're fun and I watch them when I'm bored. But I like seeing what my friends are doing and what they're up to. So I like that on Be Real, they <laughs> are kind of forced to post every day. And so I get to see because... Yeah, I'm just really nosy. <laughs> I like, though, that you were also like, you're not nosy enough to like look at what celebrities are doing. And I think there's also an aspect there of like, I don't know, they have teams. You know, they have teams of people who are curating their social media presence. It's like the polar opposite of what your friend is doing. You know, what all of our individual friends are doing. It, it, is, it is highly staged, one assumes. I wanted to move here a little bit and talk about like, all of those things that I mentioned at the top of the episode, right? There's a lot of doom and gloom going on. There's like depression, there's sadness, there's, um, you know, people measuring themselves up against pretty much staged images on Instagram. Do you feel like you connect with any of those, like any of those concerns or complaints? Because everything I've heard, right, a, a lot of what I've heard, again, is that there's a pressure, again, to maximize time. But I haven't heard too much about like, oh, yeah, like my friend is in a spiral because of this stuff. I just wanted to get your take on all those things. I don't, I think more of like TikTok, but also definitely Instagram. Like some of my friends, like a couple of years ago, especially during the pandemic when people are just on it nonstop, these people were, they already had kind of had some mental health issues and some of them like were depressed. And I'm not really friends with them anymore, but I think they found a community online where they could kind of glamorize that and it kind of became like a label that they could box themselves into. And I think to a certain extent, it was like confirmation bias kind of working against them because they were like, okay, well, I can have this specific depressed person, sad person aesthetic, but I need to box myself into being depressed to fit that aesthetic. And so people, I think, made themselves worse that way. And a lot of people, especially over quarantine, 
their mental health kind of deteriorated because social media like it is obviously targeted and it'll show you more of what you want to see basically and show you more of what you would look at so I think the more people kind of fell into that those certain like areas of TikTok and of Instagram that's all they were going to see and especially when people couldn't see their friends who were happy or who were like you know not in the same state as them I think um they kind of got sucked more into forcing themselves to be more depressed or sad or just like unhappy than they really were because it would fit that specific aesthetic and that was where they could find a community who kind of supported them so I definitely saw that happen like a couple years ago I am uh, extremely interested in that that is a very nuanced thing to recognize um, and I think it's something that a lot of listeners may have never encountered in their lives uh, and I just want to be sure that I'm getting it right you're saying that essentially people found communities that were supportive of you know at times mental health of mental illness of just uh, depression anxiety but then they found that those communities were also like reinforcing those conditions as like identities so saying like hey you know i am on the spectrum and then they kind of had to perform that they were always on the spectrum like that's what they were showing one another and so that they could be part of that community am i getting that kind of correct yeah exactly like with one specific example like of self-harm i know a lot of people who didn't feel like they're when they found kind of like that self-harm community on the internet which is supposed to be supportive and supposed to encourage you to get better a lot of times they didn't feel like their mental health issues were bad enough unless they were self-harming and so they fell into that spiral and kind of decided that that was how they were going to validate their mental health concerns because I mean people do really like labels I think I don't know like I have some opinions on the whole gender movement and stuff but people really do like labels and having certain like a validation of their identity I think that's why people care so much about like diagnoses and being diagnosed and so a certain way it was a way people could self-diagnose by making their disorders so extreme as to fit into that community and be accepted by them just so that they could kind of validate it to themselves we had something like that when i was a teenager there were people who were suffering from anorexia who found communities who were anorexics and these communities like became toxic it wasn't about like fighting anorexia or, or trying to improve you know one's health um, one's eating habits they started posting images of thin individuals, exceedingly thin individuals. And they posted it as inspiration and they like took the words like thin and inspiration and they called it like thin spo, like thin inspiration. Oh, yeah, 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 that yep. That's exactly what I was on. Um and um it's just disconcerting to hear that it's it's still a thing, but in like a different platform and for far more conditions for things like you said, like self harm, where people felt they had to self harm more. And very much like you said, you know, people like labels. Actually, I wanted to ask on that specifically, because it sounds like you've thought about this quite a bit. Why do you think people like labels so much? Humans like groups. I mean, people are always searching for a group to have, like we're naturally kind of, we're social in a way, but we also just want to feel like there's a group or a community that we belong to, like that just sense of belonging. And I think having a label gives you that group or a place where you belong. And then to another extent, I think it also validates anytime you want to, you have a concern about your life. It validates that you are feeling badly and there's a reason you're feeling badly because you're like, okay, I have this certain either disorder or I'm part of this certain marginalized community. And I think that's, that's why people like labels so much. 
Do you think the internet has made it like much easier to self-label? Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. I did want to move to a different topic here. And I wanted to understand how much of like your online experience have you felt that you've just needed to figure out alone? Because I think that's also a big part of this. You know, like we are uh, trying to find out, you know, whether Generation Z feels supported online by their family, by their friends, uh, if they have people to go to, right? And that's not just the things you encounter with anxiety or self-comparison or time management, but also just like the skills. And so I, I did want to ask there like, pretty much plainly, how much of your online experience have you felt you've needed to just figure out alone? I think most things you kind of just ask your friends, like, I don't know, especially with like my friends, if someone is going to post something, they're like, okay, guys, like which picture should go first? Which one should go here? Which one should I post this one? You have to like send a picture to all your friends who are in it to make sure they approve. Then it's like 20 minutes focusing on what should the caption be, guys? I don't really do that because I don't like only my friends follow me. I'm not, I don't know. But I also went to a smaller school and I don't know, less random people follow me. But people definitely do that. And I there's definitely like that stress. But I think the only thing I've had to figure out alone is kind of the limit of like what to share and what not to share. <laughs> because like I went to France with my boyfriend this summer and my parents let me go, obviously. But like some of their friends who follow me on Instagram would think it was like the worst thing in the world. And so I knew that they would be kind of like, what if I posted that? Because then their friends would be like, who is this random boy in France? <laughs> but I still posted it anyways, because they, they're not going to like monitor me in that way. And so I think kind of knowing what's oversharing and what's not oversharing is pretty important. Because sometimes you look at someone's story and it's like a picture of their feet and their like dirty house. And <laughs> you're just like, why would you post that? Um, and some people post like really personal memes about things that i don't know just not everyone i feel needs to know but some people feel like that's the way to get their thoughts out so i think navigating that is the one thing you have to figure out alone and what your kind of personal boundaries are with that you mentioned at the top there right about these moments where you have to send photos to your friends to decide you know which photo comes first and then like what the caption is like these 20 minutes of like deliberation of like what's happening there what i'm getting from that is that people care quite clearly about whether or not a photo of them is shared. Is that right? Yes, definitely. So that what I'm, what I'm trying to get here is that is there's like a lot of consent baked into the process. And um, is it a faux pas? Like, is it wrong to share like a photo with a group of people, but not like check with them first? Yeah, it, it definitely is. People would get pretty mad at you if you did that. Was that always the way it was for when you grew up? Like, is that just like, that was, there was never an alternative? I, when I had Instagram when I was like 12, it was like a travel account. I just posted like random pictures of when I went traveling. And so I didn't really have pictures with other people for a long time. And once I did, which is when, once I started like wanting my Instagram to be kind of more curated and like nice. Yeah, ever since I like, which was probably a couple years ago. I don't know, everyone was already like 15 or 14 by that age. So they cared about how they looked and who saw them and how, you know, they pre they were presented. So basically, yeah, since I've been posting other people, they've cared and I've had to ask. That situation that came up with like, you know, the friends of your parents telling your parents about how they felt about your pictures. Is that something that happens with your with your friends as well? Do you hear about complaints where like, oh my gosh, you know, my parents' friends are like commenting on this, even though it's okay in my house. Like, I'm just trying to get an understanding of like, who's watching who? I don't know, because for some other 
families, I feel like some kids just don't let their family, friends follow them and stuff. <laughs> I don't really care. And I think a lot of people just have less family friends who are on social media. But I just kind of have a lot. And it's like more like my mom's sisters who would say annoying things because they also have social media. So I, I haven't really heard it heard about it that much with my other friends but they don't really ever post anything bad it's usually on like stories that are private and you can hide people from which is why so much deliberation goes into posting it's because like that is what everyone can see do you ask your parents to see photos that they post of you do your parents ask you for permission before they post a photo of you no but i see them because yeah i follow my mom so i see what she posts would you like them to ask permission no, because she doesn't post my face. So. Oh, okay. That's smart. That's good. When you were figuring out the boundaries of what to share, can you help me just understand more of like what that process was? Because it sounds like it wasn't just like, I think for a lot of like our listeners, right? They might think like, oh, I can't share something like that shows my address because like the things we're worried about is like identity theft, right? Like someone's gonna find out where I live and they're gonna match that information to a credit card that was stolen online and then boom, you know, they can actually access my credit card, something like that. But it sounds like what you were worried about is definitely more along the lines of like, what's okay, what's not okay to share? And so I just wanted to ask more, you know, what what was that process like? What were you considering? Well, my account is private, so like random people can't see what I post, but there's still a lot of random people who follow me. like just like acquaintances kind of and i think it's more like if someone just started talking to you and told you like every single detail of their lives and you didn't really know them that well you'd be like what is this person talking about like nobody cares so it's kind of just it's kind of just figuring out the balance between okay i want to share this with other people but what do people actually care about seeing because there's like social capital in social media and you can kind of like i don't think you can expand it that much through social media but there's a certain level of, okay, you you need to still seem like cool and you don't want to be posting too much because then it seems like you're seeking too much for external validation, even though obviously you are because why else would you post anything on social media? But it's also just about like, you want to share when your life seems good and not when it seems too bad, but you also want to like be real with people and share when you're feeling bad. So, And then also deciding which audience you should share to because there are things on Instagram, like there's a thing on your story called close friends where you can choose who's on your close friends list and only share things with like a select like 20 or I don't know, some people have like a hundred people on there who are their closest friends and they could kind of share like whatever they want to. So deciding who you consider that to be, because some people have like 80 people in their close friends and some people have like five. So I think that's interesting, like deciding your like social media sharing circle, because I do find that when people have a close friend, they end up posting way less on their actual story that everybody can see just because I mean the only people that they really want to share things with are those like people but then you still let everyone else follow you for whatever reason the way you're talking about your familiarity with like the features like hey you know my account's private so I don't really have a lot of random people um and you know you know how to use the close friends feature it sounds like you're very comfortable with all of these things and I wanted to then ask you know can you describe your parents' like online expertise? And that could be from cybersecurity, that could be like staying private online, just like understanding the internet in general. How would you say your parents fare like being online? My dad doesn't really know that much about it, but my mom does because she does marketing and then she had to teach a social media marketing class. So then she learned a lot. 
But she's always kind of known a lot because she is on her phone so much, like more than me, I'm pretty sure, and my brother. And she's always like reading articles and this and that. So I think she tries to stay pretty with the times. And yeah, her Instagram account has more followers than mine. And she's, she, she posts a lot. And yeah, and she follows me and like all my friends and all my cousins and stuff. And she recently got Be Real, which was a new low for her, to be honest. <laughs> that app is really should only be for kids. But um, yeah, she's pretty involved. I'd say. Is there like something like what do you wish your parents just better understood about being online today? I don't really know. I mean, I think that not everything is so dramatic. Like, I know they care about safety and security and stuff, but I don't know to a certain extent if she understands that on my private Instagram account, I accept every single follower that I have. Because I don't think she really, like, she has a public account, and so she posts for everyone. And sometimes she asks questions like, oh, like, why are people posting this picture just of their face where they're smiling? And it's like, well, I mean, people are self-absorbed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that aspect of it, like, the kind of it being your own personal modeling site, they don't really understand. Which, to a certain extent, is fair. Because, I mean, I don't think I would have really understood it. And my mom just kind of wants to show that, like, oh, look, I went to Vietnam and I saw this temple and this is my anniversary with my husband. Like, that's what she cares about and showing, like, her life and the cool places she goes. But, like, to a certain extent, she's doing that same thing. It's just that people do it with, like, their own faces and stuff. Is there anything that you wish they understood so that it would make, like, your life easier? I don't really know. I mean, I think their, their social media presence is fine. Yeah, I don't really know. Like, to make my life easier, I don't really post that much. And, I mean, I, I do. I post, like, pretty... Actually, that's not true. I post pretty often, but... I don't know. Anything that my parents wouldn't want me to post, really. Like, there are certain things that I'll still post just because... But to a certain extent, I feel like their boundaries are similar to my boundaries. And if it was something that my parents were like, ooh, this is kind of iffy, I probably wouldn't want to post it anyways. Just because, you know a bunch of other adults follow me. And so I wouldn't want to like evoke that same reaction from everyone. <laughs> Moving like away from social media specifically, I kind of just am curious about the same question. And like as an example, right? When I was growing up, our parents' generation really didn't trust putting your credit card online. It was a no, you don't do it. And now like that's silly, right? Like, of course you you have to, Put your credit you have to enter your credit card information in websites that's it that's if you want to buy anything if you want to live in a modern society like that's how things work unfortunately and so like i remember growing up like that was a weird thing like that was a thing that i wish my dad just got you know like just stop being weird about this thing <laughs> like we just need to put credit card information online and so i'm kind of curious like moving beyond social media like the internet again is there anything that you just wish like your parents understood, and sort of in the same vein, like it could make your life easier? I think it's not necessarily about something they could just get. Like, I don't feel like they have this huge gap. My dad does think that he can go viral, which <laughs> I, I don't think he understands how difficult that is. <laughs> to be honest, both my parents kind of think that they can go viral, and they, I don't think they understand how like how actually hard that would be, and 
I don't think they also understand that like people don't really care about a random person's like a random mother of two's travel account or a random like dad who does yoga sometimes his yoga account like people I don't think they understand that people care like I don't care about that stuff and it's like I wouldn't want them to go viral because to go viral you have to do like really dumb things so I think it's that and then like in a more broader sense they this is not something about like they don't get it's just that they care a lot about cybersecurity, and I just don't like they always think the government is trying to like take their data and like use it to target specific things or political ads or whatever which they obviously do like that does happen it's just that i don't care like i don't i don't see what what is so bad that the government could do with my data like okay if they're going to target political ads towards me it's not like i'm a sheep like i can still make my own decision and i don't know i just don't find it that like disconcerting just because i don't think i do anything that bad on social media that like it would get me in trouble and i also just don't see what's so bad that could be done with my internet data so i think we have a gap there where i mean they probably understand more than i do to be honest but they're always trying to convince me of that and i I just don't care (laughs) that is the most painful thing i've heard (laughs) i am coming from a different perspective so like the government the things that it would want with your data is not necessarily to serve you with political ads. Like that would be like specific, like lobbying groups would want to do that to sway you in an election. And I do, I I love hearing that you're like, look, I'm not going to be swayed by an ad. That's great. It's fantastic. The government cares about your data when they're like trying to conduct surveillance and like they will grab your messages, even though you are not a target. And so things like that are things that I deeply care about but that's also like let's not worry about that for let's just that's whatever (laughs) let's uh that's its own thing i did want to wrap up here with our last question which was just you know when it comes to the internet to being online how would you do things differently like with your own children compared to how your parents have handled things with you i think the things that kids find on the internet they're gonna find anyways and i mean i probably found some stuff like too young and it was bad and i mean kids are really like malleable and they adapt pretty quickly i think it's more of I don't want them to become dependent on it. I think my parents were pretty good. Like, I didn't get a phone until I was in middle school and, you know, started taking the bus and kind of needed a way to communicate with them. But I did, like, have access to, like, an iPad before that and stuff. And, like, I could watch a lot of YouTube. And I think it's less of what can be found on the internet and more of kids just want to spend so much time on it. Whereas, like, I would want my kids to go out and have fun and or even not have fun and just, like, have to have to figure out ways to entertain themselves that aren't just being on YouTube. Because I think that's valuable, and I got a little bit of it, but I also think, like, around, like, third grade, I, like, watched a lot of YouTube, and I thought it was fun. Um, So I think it's more of just the time. I would definitely put, like, a lot of time restrictions on my kids and how much they could be on the internet, and much less about, like, parental controls on what exactly they could see, because they're going to see it anyways eventually. Yeah, it sounds like also, like, something that you really prize and think is important is just this level of independence. Like, they're going to find these things, and they're going to have to figure out like how it works, but also like independence from the internet. You would prefer that they don't spend eight hours in front of a screen all day. Yep. Nitya, that's all I had. I wanted to thank you again so much uh, for coming on today's show. I do really want to stress that I think like, you know, 70% of what you said for many of our viewers, they're like, what? I've never heard of that in my life. What is Be Real? So again, I really do thank you so much for coming on today's show and for just speaking very plainly about growing up online. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. To our listeners, 
We'll talk to you again in two weeks. Until then, stay tuned and stay safe. And remember, you can read all our cybersecurity coverage on Mauerbytes Labs at mauerbytes.com slash blog. Finally, our intro music is by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com, and our outro music is by Woa from Unminus.com. Today's show has been edited by our podcast consultant, Eric Johnson, at lightningpod.fm. Thank you, folks.